Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm Gareth Hanna and joining me this week is, as usual, Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. How are you doing? Far more exciting, though, no offence to you, Jonathan, is uh, the return of our uh, semi-regular guest, Ulster Rugby photographer, John Speaker Dixon. Hello, John. Hello, Gareth. How are you, John? Good to have you back. Very well. Very well. You're Where are you joining us from today? From Crosscar. From Crossguard, lovely and a lovely looking loft conversion you have there, John. Yes, I like my wee bar. Oh yeah, very nice, very nice indeed. I hope it's closed though, uh, given the restrictions. Good, good. Over restrictions in place. Absolutely, good to hear it, John. So you're here to give us a little bit of an insight into life inside the the Ulster rugby bubble, um, and we'll also discuss obviously another win at the weekend. Look ahead to the trip to Edinburgh, and of course, as always, there's more international rugby because it never ends. So we will begin with uh, what was finally a fairly keenly contested Pro 14 tie for uh, Ulster at the weekend when they beat Scarlets 26. 24. So Jonathan, over recent weeks, it seems like we've just been complaining ad nauseum about a, a lack of uh, competition. It finally arrived at the weekend. Were you glad to see it in a way? In a way, in a way. I'd obviously forgotten how to write a match report when the match was uh, <laughs> close and you're up against deadline. But uh, no, I th- like we'd sort of ended last week's podcast saying that, you know, the Scarlets were coming into a bit of form and their young players that were coming through in the absence of internationals were good. Thankfully, one of them showed up uh, in their back row or Morgan, so we didn't look uh, didn't look too silly um, coming in this week. Uh, I think, to be honest, I think it'll stand the Ulster to have had a close game. It'll stand to them to have had a wee reminder as much as they still got the bonus point that they do have to show up and be on their game. And I think it will have been good for everyone, especially the thousand or so fans that were in there they've seen a game that wasn't over on the hour mark absolutely john we'll hear in a, a minute uh, from dan mcfarland who wasn't overly happy with the performance he hasn't had too much to complain about so far this season but what what was it compared to the previous weeks that ulster were just short on where where did it sort of not go wrong for them because they still won with a bonus point so it was job done but um where did it sort of almost go wrong i think their discipline um was a big thing at the weekend. They have been fairly good up until now, but for some reason, either they didn't read the referee or perhaps uh, just the Scarlets were that more competitive at the breakdown. Ulster seemed to give an awful lot of penalties away, and that would be concerning for Dan and obviously for for Jared Payne, the defensive coach. I think that was the key area in the game, and I think if Stuart Muir hadn't got that interception, things might have been slightly different. It was a, probably a disappointing performance from Ulster's point of view. We'll hear a little bit later that you're you're working very closely with the, the Ulster squad, John, but Philip Totten asks, what caused that indiscipline? They conceded 13 penalties. Is there any rhyme or reason for this, or is it just...? It's a thing that just happens. Um, I mean, every game's different, but I think at the breakdown, it's, it's where... The opposition can make it very competitive um, or maybe slightly quicker to the ball and they get the jackal quicker and maybe Ulster aren't there backing their players up quick enough. It could be loads of different things, but just, and obviously the referee comes into it. I thought the referee had a reasonable game actually, so I wouldn't blame the referee, but it's just how the players read the referee and how he wants the game to be played is vitally important. And he's a sort of newish referee on the scene. Um, Italian guy and um, 
I think it's just maybe Ulster just didn't really react quick enough to him, whereas the Scarlets did. Yeah, because I think that I think that is an important point. I was going to say that obviously I think it was his ninth game, maybe the referee. So he's not a referee that they've had much experience with. If you look at the discipline overall, one, two, three, four, five, five of the seven games they've kept it to ten penalties or less, which is round about what you're aiming for. So it was only the Ospreys game where they gave away thirteen, and then Sunday where they gave away thirteen, where discipline has been an issue. It was quite varied you know at least two of those were for high tackles so it wasn't like there was sort of one thing that you could point to and say oh you know it was the scrum say like they gave away two scrum penalties as well one of them I don't think really should have been but it was quite varied in a way that you know it wasn't a specific trend of their game so in that way you can I think look to just as John said it's reading the referee adapting to the referee during the game and it's just that touch of a lack of familiarity with them, maybe. Saying we've got to this stage already, we'll just discuss that uh, Kieran Treadwell yellow card. Ulster will have no complaints with the referee's decision there. But uh, John Scarlett's feel Ulster have have got away with one. What do you think? I think the the, the TMO um, did a very good job because he actually looked at what caused the player to come into Tread, Treadwell's sort of channel. And I think he was tackled by somebody. Was it was it Sean Reedy tackled him? And he actually, as he was going in, as Treadwell's, com- Treadwell's coming in, you'll see Reedy hits him and he comes in and actually pushes him more into Treadwell's channel. He did hit him high. He did, but he didn't hit him, you know, at full tilt. That's the important thing. He didn't go in there to actually smash him. And I, and you can see that in the in the video replay. And I think that's probably what um, the TMO, TMO saw. I certainly that's what I saw. So I think the yellow card was the right decision. I don't think it was a red. I know Stevie Ferris said red, that was a red, but um, I, I honestly didn't see that. Um, I can see if Treble had put his head down and had been more forceful and tried to actually drive him back, which it looked as if it was just he ran into him and smashed into him, and that was it. That's how I saw it. What do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, well, no sightings, so uh, everyone was agreed, yellow card, end of controversy. I don't know. In, like in, in real time, I thought he was in trouble, and then... I suppose without the benefit of hearing what the referee is saying, you know, we don't have these Southern Hemisphere uh, ref mics booming out in the stadium yet. So just the amount of deliberation that was going on and then you're looking at it in the screen and you're seeing it really, really slow down. And it sort of reminded me almost of the Aki one in the World Cup where you're having to put yourself or you need to try to put yourself into Treadwell's shoes and think about how fast everything's happening. I, yeah, it's it's an orange for me. Like it, it could have gone. It really could have gone either way. Um, I would like I wouldn't have been surprised to see him get a red card at all. But I can understand equally his argument of yeah, as like as John says, it wasn't like there was a swinging arm or anything like that. And that's always a, a sign that something's gone wrong in terms of the amount of force that's been generated when you see that arm sort of being cocked back and brought forward, which we didn't have. So obviously, the most unfortunate thing was to get you know their tight head has to go off and doesn't come back on. So there's an element of, I suppose, refereeing the consequence there. I think, think, Johnny, the the good point there was the officiating was excellent and that the referee talked to both of his assistants and the TMO and it wasn't just one man standing in the middle having to make that decision. It was like a joint effort. When I listened to to it back uh, on the replay on the video uh, at home, I I thought, you know, they did a very good job on that. They reasoned it out. They didn't panic about it. They looked at it again and again and again. And uh, I think they came to the right decision. And if 
Treadwell had received a red, it would have been, I felt probably an injustice to him because he, the player was forced into his channel by just another tackle. And it's a, a sort of like a rugby accident, in inverted commas, that's what I would have called it, you know? We'll hear a little bit. Yellow cards in general is something that's worth <laughs> touching on because they've had five of them so far, which is more than anybody else in the league. And, to, you know, two of the tries that they gave up um, on Sunday night were during sin winning periods. They gave up a score, I believe, in the Treviso um, sin winning period as well. So that is costing them at the minute, just the amount of yellow cards that they're getting. What can they do to solve this problem? Well, an awful lot of the yellow, an awful lot of the cards that they've been showing, a fairly high percentage of them are for high shots at the minute. So, again, you know, we touch on this quite a lot. If it's all well and good, me saying this, having not played at any sort of level at all, but tackling a bit lower would help. Yeah, get down, down super with the tackle bags for uh, two full training sessions. <laughs> you could stand in, John. Hurt themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. Well, we'll hear a little bit now of what Dan McFarland thought of, of the game and probably a more disappointing performance than he has uh, become accustomed to seeing over recent weeks. It's definitely the worst performance that we've had this year because we, we had some really top-class stuff. So some of the stuff um, um, close to their line, our forwards runners running hard and so our morning was pretty good, but uh, mainly the forward, runner, forward runners was, was excellent, like really, really good, and obviously got uh, tries off the back of that. Our defence of their driving more when we were down to 13 men was, was top class at the start. And when you flip it around, a um, little bit of the smarts in, in, in the way that we played, controlled the game, weren't, weren't great against them. Conceded uh, a more try, so that's that's something we'll have to have, have to work at. And then you know, some of the individual performances were were, were really really excellent. Like Mikey Larry was superb again at fullback. Uh, Eric O'Sullivan, the, the top end of the team, I, I thought was absolutely outstanding. Credit 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 to him. So there was another man of the match award for Sean Reedy. John, um, obviously we haven't had you on. Uh, so far this season so just give us a little overview of, of how you felt he, he has been doing so far I think uh, Shawnee's been um, fantastic at, especially at Kingspan he's uh, he's I think this is his third man of the match in the row um, this season and he's just been a real real hard worker on the pitch and he goes for 80 minutes uh, never stops and is working hard in the last five minutes as he was at the start of a game. I mean, he's just a, a great all-round player. Um, scoring a try again on Sunday um, as another feature of his, of his game this season. Uh, so I think well-deserved man of the match. And he's a player in form at the minute, there's no doubt. Just to, I just said off record that I wasn't going to stay the stats. But here we are, Jonathan. I'm just going to read some of the stats from your article the other day. Um Reedy's third in the Pro 14 with 42 successful carries. He leads Ulster in tackles made with 78 and tackle percentage in 97. Uh, more clean breaks with three defenders beaten eight and metres made 174 of any Ulster forward. He's been incredible, John. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. So anyone that was listening a few weeks ago, this will probably sound like we're repeating ourselves. But I genuinely believe that he's in much better form now than he has than he was when he was capped by Ireland. Um, obviously, the back row mix there is so competitive and a lot of the guys are just of a different age profile, which is going to work against them. But 
from a purely measuring his performance perspective, like I think this is the best form that he's been in for Ulster. I think, uh, I suppose, really since Dan McF- even since Dan McFarland came in, sort of 2018, because it's, you know, this isn't a recent thing so much as he's getting a bit more headlines because of the man on the match awards, but come sort of January, February time before lockdown, he was Ulster's form player, really, around that time, just whenever his, um, I was going to say whenever his new contract was signed, whenever his new contract was announced, because I think they'd been signed a good while before then. But he's, re- he's even with lockdown and the injury that he had as well coming out of lockdown, like he's managed to maintain that level and he's just tracking very nicely. To be in there with um, Marcel, you know, you look at somebody like Jordy Murphy. Jordy Murphy's not really playing an awful lot at the minute because mm-hmm. you have to say right now, Ulster's two best back rowers are Kutsi and Reedy. Mm-hmm. And I just think to have that level of player is what you really, really need during these windows when you're missing so many of your frontline test players. To have somebody like Reedy in the form that he's in um, is just an incredible, incredible boost for, and it's something that a lot of teams don't have the benefit of really. But it's an incredible boost for Ulster. As good as he's playing, though, John, at 31, probably chances of more Ireland Cup uh, caps are, are over, are they? Um, you never say never. Um, but when you look at that Leinster back row, um, probably Leinster could field two Irish back rows out of it, or the back row squad, they could field two Irish back rows out of it. It's incredible. Um, that's where I probably think Ireland will be dipping into for the next... Uh, number of years uh, they have at least six seven really top quality players there and and that's what the the the, um, the Ulster Munster and Connacht boys have to fight against so while you wouldn't like to rule Shawnee out you never just never know you never know if he keeps getting man of the match they can't ignore him you know that's the other thing too yeah. it's like you know the two foreign players that they are sorry two of the foreign players at the Irish provinces here are the foreign teams well, sorry, three actually, because you've got Coombs at Munster, you've got Roddick at Leinster, and you've got Reedy up here. And this is during an international window. None of them are all Irish qualified, none of them getting a look in, you know? Yeah. Uh, competitive area of the pitch, certainly. Um, another fairly competitive area of the pitch for, for Ulster is at centre, although Stuart Moore uh, has fairly nailed on his position there. Started all seven league games now, back to back tries for him. Um, Baker would probably. We've, because you've been playing so well, we've probably heard from Jonathan most weeks on how, how good Stuart Murray's been playing. Uh, Baker, sum it up for us. He has come into the Ulster squad this season. It's, he couldn't really have started his senior career uh, in, in much better vein of form, could he? Uh, no, and it's all, all you need is a chance uh, to get the wee break to get in. And you never like to hear about players having injuries or whatever, but you take your chances um, when you're given them. And... Um, Stuart's certainly done that. Uh, he was out most of last season himself with an injury, um, played against Leinster at the RDS, and he showed great skills in that game. And I, I was just delighted to see him get a start early on, uh, early this season. He has gone from strength to strength, and he's a wonderful young player and is a big prospect for Ulster. And I would love to thank Ireland as well. Um, not only that, he's a lovely kid. Uh, he... Turns up to training with a smile on his face. Uh, when you meet him off the pitch, he's a smile on his face. He's just loving life at the minute. And I think that's great to have that sort of feeling of youth and excitement in, in that back line. 
and um, he was just he was telling me last week just how much he was enjoying playing with Luke Marshall, um, who he really looked up to when he was a schoolboy and had, couldn't believe he was actually playing lot, or uh, along with Lukey. And, and then obviously, sadly now that uh, Lukey's got another injury, so he, he, he's going to have another uh, midfield partner this uh, probably this uh, weekend. So I just uh, hope he continues in the vein of form he's in. Uh, tries more tries, please. You mentioned Luke Marshall, Jonathan. We don't know as yet uh, much more about Luke's injury, do we? No, uh, press conference this afternoon, so we should hopefully find out a wee bit more um, this afternoon. But, um, yeah, it didn't look good at the time. You could tell from his face um, that it wasn't good at the time. And um, whenever we were speaking to Dan McFarland afterwards, he was saying that he'd uh, he'd been on crutches afterwards in the dressing room. So it looks like another knee injury, unfortunately, because... Like the thing with Luke is, he's been playing very well whenever he's been playing. Mm. Really, for the last the last couple of years, you know, even going back to pre Dan McFarland into Les Kiss, like Luke, he was in good form, and he's just it's just injuries. You know, he had the horrible knee injury that he got against the Ospreys in that best forgotten European playoff game, and then um, the hip injury as well, which sounded like a bit of a worrisome, strange one for him. And then to get over that, to come back in, play a few games, and then just be out again. It's like, it's... Like you, feel, you feel terrible for him. Like. There's one sure thing. He'll he'll um, he'll fight hard to get back and get fit again. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I really admire his uh, persistence and his, and his uh, mentality, you know, that he has about, about uh, recovery and rehabbing. And um, I have no doubt he'll be back. So... Fingers crossed, sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Yeah, because like he was he was speaking to us a few weeks ago, um, just about the hip injury, and he was actually quite interested on it, talking about um how in his like in his younger days he'd really taken on something from Tommy Bow, just advice to look at every injury as a challenge and come back better for it. And like I think even like the work that he did with Dan Super during his ACL injury, like you could you could see that the work that he had done. Just in terms of his um, his hands, basically, you know, when he couldn't do anything with his legs, um, the work that he'd done on his handling and things like that, like he came back in from that ACL injury after a long, long time out, and you know, everyone remembers the game against Leinster in the quarterfinal and stuff, but like he didn't miss a beat whenever he came back, and I think that has to be just that attitude that he's taken of just seeing time away from the senior team as an opportunity to get better at. You know, he, like he, might, he must be 29, nearly 30 now, but um, still having that attitude to improve, you know. Uh, so we mentioned it earlier then, potential for young Ulster players getting Ireland call-ups. One that has already arrived is, of course, for Eric O'Sullivan. And, John, that is a very richly deserved indeed. Yes, Eric, um, my position, loose head. So uh, I've been watching Eric uh, with great interest since he... On everything uh, he knows. Uh, well, no, no, I, I would say that uh, he knows a lot more than me, but uh, yeah, another guy of total admiration for um, modern day prop, you know, he, he's round the field, um, fighting for every inch. I mean, there was a great uh, clip from, from the game at the weekend where he his line speed and defence, and he came up and he put the, uh, the Scarlet's back line under pressure, the ball was uh, was dropped, and he, he fought for the ball on the ground, won it, won the turnover. You know, that's something that Liz Head props never ever did. Apart from that, the scrummaging has come on so much. 
And I would say, you know, like Jack McGrath, um, Dan McFarland being a loose head prop himself, as I'm sure, done a lot of work with uh, with him and brought him on and gave him that confidence to go in and play against these experienced props. Um, and then obviously Jack McGrath in there helping him, uh, British Lions, uh, loose head prop. You couldn't get any better than that uh, to have him in the squad for help and advice. So it's putting Eric in a great place. And I think his pathway here in Ulster has been a great development for him. So his move from Leinster up to here has proved to be a massive success. And um, he's loving playing up here. Um, he will go go on to play for Ireland. Um, hopefully, like he said, he's in the training camp at the minute. Again, that's another step up. He's getting to, he'll get to see how Ireland operate and how um, they go about their training sessions, start to learn some moves, etc. So he's in the right place to be there uh, going into the new year. So fingers crossed he will get capped, yeah. Any chance at all he'll get capped this weekend, Jonathan? I know there obviously there's a bit of a short hit or a short a shortage down there at loose head. Yeah, it'll, it'll depend on the head burn injury. Um, so we had Simon Easter up for media yesterday, and he was sort of it was interesting the way he spoke because he was speaking in relation to the other young players. Like there's been an awful lot of chat um, in other places about the likes of Casey, Harry Byrne, Ryan Baird, and stuff maybe getting a run this week. And it was interesting to hear Easterby talk about the challenges that young players would face if they were coming in to a test week, having their first exposure to the camp and really only having six days to get all their detail nailed. But also, I suppose, just to deal with the idea of playing international rugby and having those two things going on at the same time. So you think about those like Christmas stock takes as as they were known where Tom O'Toole got down to the camp for a first time you think about how Robert Balakun trained with the squad during the Six Nations but was not part of the squad mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense and how those guys were getting their first exposure to it a lot in the same way that like Ulster at the minute seemed to be bringing academy the odd academy player on an away trip so that they get used to that match day experience mm-hmm. so it would be a big ask but it's going to come down to whether they have anybody else because we talked about this, I think, at the time, saying that we were maybe surprised that he wasn't in the original squad because there were only two loose heads. So we saw the situation on Saturday of Finley Bealham having to come on at loose head because Ed Byrne couldn't go. John Ryan was in the team but not able to come off the bench because he suffered an injury in the warm-up as well. So they had three props for four spots, essentially. And one of them had to come on out of position. So if Ed Byrne can't go again, then I think out of necessity, you'll see you'll see Eric. But at the same time, that's not that he wouldn't deserve a cap because I think he's been in great form. I thought he was right up there with Reedy on Sunday night. Like, you know, we talked about that turnover, but like just another moment that jumped out at me was there was a time, it was about 20 minutes into the game. And there was a few, yeah. Wee bit of kick tennis and moving each other around the pitch, and then Cooney just knocked one over the top of the rock, just looking to find space. And Angus O'Brien, their fullback, came over, and then you looked up, and the guy chasing him down was O'Sullivan. And then, in order to pressure the kick, like went full extension Superman dive, trying to block the kick. And this is a loose head prop that we're talking about, and he's the first man up out of the line, and um, putting pressure on the putting pressure on the guy to, and then he sort of sliced the kick, gave Ulster a good bit of territory. So. It's, it's really interesting to see, one, the way that he plays the game, because as John says, it is so atypical for what we would have grown up thinking Lucet had to do or had to be able to do. But then also just the story as well. Like whenever he does get capped, it's a hell of a story. Like to come up here in the first instance, because 
you know, the first time he pulled on an Ulster jersey was an Ulster A jersey because they needed to fill out a team to play in the British and Irish Cup against Jersey away, you know, and to go from there to being brought into the academy, to being brought into a senior a senior deal from making his debut when a lot of people hadn't heard of him, making his debut in Dan McFarland's first match. And then he played right up, right the way up to Christmas without missing a game and just became a mainstay. And then, you know, he sort of admitted himself that last year he struggled a wee bit with scrummage and maybe there was just more footage of him. Um, opposing tight tides were able to do a wee bit more, a wee bit more work in advance and he maybe struggled with that. But I think again, he's went away and he's worked hard and he's came back and his scrummaging's, to me anyway, is back to where it was in that first season. So it's it's hard to think of somebody that, you know, would be more deserving of that recognition because he's, he's, he strikes me anyway as a very unassuming person, but he's clearly worked unbelievably hard, not just to be where he is um, on the cusp of an Ireland cap, but even to be a professional. Do you know what I mean? Like he was essentially play, played under 20s rugby for Leinster and never got any further, took a chance with what must have at the time seemed like a real long shot and now to be on the cusp of playing for Ireland like it's it is to repeat myself it's an incredible story yeah he he was playing with Trinity he put in some great club performances against Trinity or for Trinity and Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, a number of clubs up here noticed him uh, in the All-Ireland League Banbridge has been one of them uh, and he, when he ended up here that's where he went to and he had a season at Banbridge I think and again I think Dan McFarland obviously our Dan Soper uh, obviously watched him there at Banbridge and realised just, you know, he, he had a lot of talent and was able to pass that on to, uh, to Dan McFarland. And there the story is, uh, has unfolded. And I think that is great that, you know, a player who maybe doesn't follow exactly the pathway that probably the IRFU would set out for professional players nowadays, nowadays um, has been spotted within the clubland system and has come through the clubs, uh, has made it into professional rugby, and will hopefully now get moved on to to cap the cap for Ireland. You know, it's great. And, and obviously, you know, it all comes down to him at the end of the day. But the Ulster coaches have obviously played such a big role in his progression. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Dan McFarland being a loose head, uh, and he Dan takes the uh, along with Roddy Grant takes the, the scrummaging uh, at Ulster. Um, you know, you, you have to give Dan a lot of credit and, and Roddy a lot of credit too, uh, and probably Jack McGrath for bringing him bringing him forward uh, fairly quickly. You know, well, one of those coaches in particular, uh, Dan McFarland, will be entirely unsurprised um, if and when Eric O'Sullivan does get his chance to take to the field for Ireland. So this was Dan speaking after Ulster's game on Sunday night, so before Eric's call-up was confirmed, and here's what, what he had to say about O'Sullivan's Ireland prospects. He gets through more work than the vast majority of news heads that, that, that I know of. Um, I, don't, I don't know of any that get through more work than he would, but it's the work rate and the stuff that you expect uh, Matt Rose to be really good at and, and props not to be. So movement to the defensive line, uh, kick chase, uh, getting to breakdowns uh, where players are isolated. It just happens. Like last week we did a we took a quick penalty, did a cross field kick. I think it was to Gilly. He, he, he's all on his own on the on the right hand side, and uh, Eric and Lou Marshall had to run. 
50 metres to, to, to get there. There's no question about him whether he's going to, he wants to do it, whether he's going to do it, whether he's going to put the effort in. He just sprints. Eric's a great person. He's a, he's a really, really good fella. Look, if, if, if Eric is called upon, I know he'd do a brilliant job. So that brings us on neatly then to Ireland's defeat to England. If uh, another Ulster victory at the weekend was entirely unsurprising and perhaps Ireland going down without uh, much of a whimper at Twickenham was, was equally unsurprising. First of all, though, let's talk about another try, Jonathan, for Jacob Stocktail. I'm sure you have uh, another your, your stat update for us there. And, uh, where is he now? He's seventh all time now, so only six men have uh, have scored more tries. He's tied with um, Jordy Murphy at the minute. Having been tied with Trimble coming into this, he's now two ahead. So he's he's chasing down Tommy Bow for the uh, for the all time Ulster lead as well. How many has he got to go? He's on eighteen, isn't he? So what? About... Yeah, Tommy's on thirty, I think. I don't know. Another couple of years, he'll have that reeled in rightly. So that try was uh, particularly pleasing from an Ulster point of view then with uh, with Burns and, and Stockdale linking up. I know it didn't mean much in the context of the match and in context of uh, Ireland's overall trajectory right now, but uh, it was a lovely try nonetheless. Well, it's what you need to do against teams that are that much more physical than you. You know, we saw, I think, it was a good line-out, so it was after Rob came on. Um, so sometime in that sort of hour mark of the game, um, that passage of play where Ireland were just sort of bashing their heads against the door lots and lots of possession lots and lots of territory but just not able to make any headway and then Atouje got the got the big turnover and that almost summed up an awful lot of what Ireland were trying to do like they were just being driven back essentially because they couldn't find any sort of gaps in that England rearguard defence but if you look at you know Burns comes on and he's so good at that recognising the space in behind the reason that we see so much more of that in the game nowadays is because of defences like that. To me, anyway, it was something that I would have liked to see Ireland try a lot more of, and not just because, obviously, that's where they got the reward in the game, but it's a real skill of uh, of Billy Burns, and it's um, it's very well suited, I think, to the modern game. And it was something that uh, Jacob spoke about after the game as well, didn't he? Just talking about what a what a joy it was to play alongside Billy Burns. Jacob did well as well for that try. And I think his contribution gets lost a wee bit because people focus in on the, I suppose, the imagination of the Burns kick. But like Jacob still had a bit to do there to finish that. John, it's, a, it's another thing that we have spoke about um, at length so far this season, but obviously you haven't been with us. So what have you made of the Jacob Stockdale to fullback experiment? Uh, it's been an interesting one. Um, personally, I would like to see Jacob on the wing because I think that's where he can be, uh, or that's where he has been his most effective. He, when he, he takes on a player and he has that, he's got that chip and uh, chase game that can out and his, his pace and his strength. You know, it has worked in the past. Um, so that's where I believe he's uh, strongest. But you know, full back, you know. You should be able any but the backs anybody in the back three should play be able to play any side of the field and and full back as well. That's the modern game. Is we're talking about the front row um, and how you have to be fast and quick. Now I would think anybody who plays in the back three in the modern game of rugby um, should be able to play uh, all three positions. So it's something I think you'll have to do in his professional career moving forward. But I think the interesting thing going back to that England game, is when you look at these defences and how strong they are at the minute, you look at the French defence and you look at that English defence, I think coaches need to re- do a reset, a complete reset on how 
they go about attacking or um, or putting a plan in place to attack these defences. What they're doing at the minute isn't working. It's boring. It's shockingly boring. It's awful to watch. And you would just say, like to say, like, do something different. And perhaps if you look at maybe how France went about their first games in the Six Nations this year and how they come onto the ball at pace and try to smash through and, and we're actually bringing players at pace into the line from different angles. Um, so much more exciting to watch and with so much positive results. I can't believe that other international coaches looking at what France did couldn't actually replicate that in the games that have now gone in the last few weeks. It's been terrible to watch. Okay, well, just fairly quickly, Jonathan, because we do want to get on to uh, Baker's life in the Ulster bubble. But Dono asks in a typically well-worded uh, question. I think I should just let Dono host the podcast sometimes. Um, but he asked, he says, the last two meetings between Ireland and England have felt much worse than the scoreline suggested. Is that a cause for concern or hope? It's a cause for concern. Like, don't get fooled by the scoreline, like... If anybody else has taken a few minutes to just work out that question like I did, the hope element would have been that um, Ireland deserved to be stuffed and somehow managed not to be completely annihilated. Yeah, no, like, judge it. The gap, to me, you judge the gap on how the game goes, not on the score in a lot of these cases. And the gap, to me, between Ireland and England and Ireland and France, and we presume... Ireland and South Africa and Ireland and New Zealand is become massive quite quickly to the point where if you look at the gap between the Grand Slam and Joe Schmidt coming in, there was a ruby enough period at the end there, but the gap didn't feel this big. Like you had this, you know, you had the St. Patrick's Day scrum mauling where it felt like there was a gap, but it wasn't as consistently large as we've seen over these past four games going back to the first round of the 2019 Six Nations and that is reflective of what's become a bit of a chasm between the two sides that's as big as it's been in two decades Well that was uh, entirely depressing, thank you uh, thank you for that Jonathan well, It's a long way to the next World Cup if it's any consolation oh, That's true, if they can get back on top of the world as quick as it fell off it then we'll be lit by the time the next World Cup comes around um, So Baker life inside the Ulster bubble tell us all about it, how has COVID impacted uh, how you, you do your, your work as a photographer for Ulster Rugby? Certainly interesting um, uh, I would say it would be to, uh, being fairly restrictive uh, would be the term to use. Um, so I, I never got access to, to training, uh, all the pre-season training until the first week in August. Um, and then um, when you arrive at the stadium, uh, you have to sanitize your hands, then get a, your temperature checked, and then you have to do a daily health check. So um, before you go in anywhere near players or, or near the training pitch, um, you have to wear a mask all the time um, that you're in the stadium or around the players. So some people would say that's an advantage um, for me to have a mask on. Um, but I have, um, uh, I have now discovered, and that's a problem too when you're taking pictures because um, the, you're wearing glasses and having a mask uh, 
causes a lot of fogging and, and in particular uh, at the early stages of uh, getting back into rugby uh, down at the Aviva whenever Ulster were playing down there against Connacht and uh, against Leinster etc uh, wearing the, the mask in the Aviva stadium was horrendous in the summertime because the you know the condensation was just totally blocking out the screen so it was a matter of finding a way around that and I have searched the internet high and low and managed to procure a uh, a clear plastic ma uh, mask that goes on over your nose and round your cheek and down your chin, which vents all the uh, all the uh, hot air out and prevents your, your fogging up with your lens, which was a major success for me, thank goodness. <laughs> and uh, going forward, that's what I wear, but I look horrendous, um, like Hannibal Lecter. Uh, <laughs> and anybody who was at uh, Kingspan on Sunday night and had a look at me thought, what on earth is he wearing? <laughs> um, well, there is a reason for it. But... <laughs> You know, it has been very restrictive. I'm allowed one hour a week um, access to the players, which um, I just it means when you get there, you can't mess about. You have to, uh, you get your training done, uh, you get those shots covered, and then the captain's running on the uh, the day before the game. Um, I would do that, and it's just in and out as fast as you can. But every time you go, it's, it's um, hand sanitized temperature check, daily health check, all that sort of stuff. So there is a lot of um, protocols around rugby and even behind the scenes, day-to-day uh, -day working in Kingspan Stadium. Um, it's very, very strict, um, which obviously you can understand why. It's so important that um, everything is kept virus-free. So obviously you're seeing a lot less of the players than you would normally, but how have you sort of uh, sensed it impacting, like, I don't know, morale or just how the players sort of are in themselves to, to use a really weird phrase well the, the, i mean when you get amongst them they're just exactly the same the banter's there the cracks the same you get the same amount of abuse that you always got so uh nothing's changed there so they all seem to be in absolute fine form yeah. and um they're getting on with it um you know they're all young men and they're and they're fit, fit as fiddles and they're working hard really hard so uh, i wouldn't say that there's any any uh, issues with them at all. How has it impacted how they work on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, again, it's, they, they have to go through similar protocols. They have a daily health check to do, temperatures taken, exactly the same as I would do whenever I go in. Mm -hmm. So they do that all the time. And obviously, they have to be tested every week as well. They have a piece, what's called PCR test where they, they get swabbed and then um, the next day they get the results through or whatever. And uh, the doc, he then will go through, uh, make sure everybody's healthy and then... Um, everybody knows that that that's good uh that they cannot that they're assigned to be in the in the squad and eight people who are rehabbing academy players senior players all the staff members everybody who's within that bubble gets pcr tested so um it is very very tight i thought it was interesting like last week to just hear albie matthewson talk about the effect that it's had on him obviously because he's here by himself so it's more away from yeah. the bubble if you like that the effect is because you can't socialize with your teammates in the same way. So he's, you know, his family are back home in the Southern Hemisphere and he's here and he's not really been able to get to know his teammates because they can't do anything together away from the stadium and outside that they would normally do quite a lot of, you know, getting coffee or whatever like that or going around each other's house, things like that. And they obviously can't do that even though they are in this bubble. Like it's not sort of different rules because they're like bubbling together. If you have to see somebody for work, then... You, you know, you still wouldn't be able to go around to their house after work. No, yeah, 
Yeah. I don't see anybody for work, so I don't. This is me seeing people for work at the minute, just Zoom calls. Oh, sometimes I haven't had a liaison in you for about seven months, but unbelievable. <laughs> you um, suggested the other day that we continue to do this after the pandemic. <laughs> I've become a social recluse and I'm so delighted yeah. with it. No Baker last week on the golf course. I make alliances. I'm happy to see people on the golf course. Took the money off me anyway. Well, I wasn't going to say it, but there it is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not being edited. Yes, I did indeed. Myself and uh, Damien from Ulster Rugby did indeed take the money off you and uh, Richard Mulligan ruthlessly. Um, so we'll move on then to the games coming up this weekend. First of all, for Ulster is back to Monday nights. Uh, they're now traditional kickoff at uh, quarter past eight on Monday uh, away in Edinburgh. This one, Jonathan, perhaps uh, more of a test than, than recent away games. Yeah. Um, I mean, Edinburgh are better than Zebra, if that's what you're, if that's what you're <laughs> getting at. That's about that. Uh, Edinburgh haven't been great this season. Like, obviously, similar situation to Glasgow. They lose an awful lot of players and there hasn't been the budget. There isn't the same budget to uh, fill in below that level. They're actually losing more players than normal now because a pair of their more impressive recent imports have since qualified for Scotland. So, um, so they're away now as well. We've just actually had the injury update through from, through from Ulster and I. So Ulster themselves are going to be missing 15 players, which wow. is a considerable amount. Um, so Luke Marshall, Ethan McElroy, Jack McGrath, Balakina Addison, Luke, Greg Jones, Angus Curtis, Tom Stewart, Erica Sullivan, Rob Herring, Ian Henderson, Billy Burns, Stuart McCluskey and Jacob Stockdale. All like so, the first thing that jumps out there is unless O'Sullivan gets returned without having played, then you're missing both of your loose heads or your top two choice loose heads. Yeah. Um, but the other thing as well is that James Shum is back training, so that could ease your center issues. You know, it's what's exciting there now, not reading that list, Johnny, is that uh, James Shum and Stuart Mirror in the center, what uh, yeah. you know what what that uh, partnership could hopefully deliver as well uh, a bit more um, you know uh, youth in the in the team uh, excitement in the midfield and obviously um, it'll be important for Ulster to to build on this momentum that they've got seven games seven wins they need to make it eight and keep it going and I think they can do it um, I just don't know if they'll get a bonus point win yeah, Edinburgh yeah, believe in their wounds, and they, they they didn't. I mean that sem, uh, semi final defeat. Uh, whenever Ian Madigan kicked that last minute penalty goal, will, will have hurt them badly. And you know they'll not want Ulster to come to Murrayfield again and go away like that again with a win. Yeah, like I'm looking forward to Cockrell's media session this week. See what he says about that. Um, but I I think we can guarantee one it'll be good, and two, he'll not shy away from the fact that. Ulster and the Pro 14 are probably the team that they most want to beat. Not even just um, because of that semi-final, but because of the way things have gone sort of the last two or three seasons. Like, because the way the conferences were, there was a wee bit of a rivalry bubbling up there before that semi-final because it was either Ulster or Edinburgh mm. um, for basically two seasons. But I think Edinburgh have been very hard to read this year because they started out really badly to the point where it looked like almost that, that semi-final defeat had had a big effect on them. You know, they started out losing at home to Ospreys. They hadn't lost an awful lot of home games at all before getting beat by Ulster. And then, you know, they lost to Ospreys, um, lost a tight one uh, away to Munster. Connacht beat them over there. And then it looked like they were sort of getting a wee bit of form back. Not that it was anything 
to write home about as a spectacle, but they, you know, they beat Scarlets in in Clenethley by six points to three, and then backed that up by beating Cardiff, who have been in decent form themselves. So it almost looked like they were had righted the ship somewhat, and then they played Leinster and got thumped. So it's very hard to know what side is the real Edinburgh side at the minute, even on the basis that we know that you're seeing an Edinburgh side that's missing so many players on international duty. Mm-hmm. But to, to be honest, I think this is an important game for Ulster because I think it's important to carry the momentum that they have into Toulouse and Gloucester. Yeah. Because I know Gloucester didn't play well at the weekend against, um, against Leicester, but I just think that those European games are going to be a step up. And I think to carry that momentum from having such a good start to the full 14 is going to be important because, you know, we talk in a normal year about how important the first block of European games is, but that's when there's six games. There's four European games here. Mm-hmm. If you lose to Toulouse at home or Gloucester away, bearing in mind that you still have to go to Toulouse, like you're not getting through to the knockouts if you lose two games in this. So if you lose one of these first two games, then you have to go and win in Toulouse. So that's how big the next sort of month, say, is for Ulster. And I just think it would be a big benefit, even though it's going to be a very different team. I think it would be a big benefit to be able to carry the momentum of eight straight wins into it. Well, with a view to being in peak form then for that uh, first European game, which is at home to Toulouse, that's 11 days after the Edinburgh game. But Philip Tully asks, are we risking overplaying the likes of Marcel Katsia? and Marty Moore before we get to Europe and um, have to learn to play without them and would it not be better to do that against Edinburgh could you see uh, John there being any large scale rotation of those uh, those senior players this weekend I think Dan has been very good with his rotation so far he, ha- he has used um, a fair bit of it um, and yes I do think um, there could be this weekend um, certainly um, I wouldn't be surprised um, if a few players of the senior players are are rested for the the Toulouse game, and give them a good week's preparation, and then um, Toulouse having to come to Belfast, traditionally, um, you know, the French teams do not travel well, and it's important for Ulster to get their Heineken Cup campaign off to a win. So that is a he's got one eye on that game, and he'll tell you he's not. He'll tell you he's focused on uh, on Edinburgh, uh, but. I would say you know he'll be playing his cards close to his chest, and he'll, uh, you know, I would wouldn't be surprised to see yes, uh, maybe a few boys rested. Well, um, you know, Big G and uh, Big Gareth is uh, would be one maybe getting a run out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Andy Warwick, you know, would be all there. He's he's about there. At Ross Kane, um, Ross wasn't in that injury list, was he? John? No, he wasn't. No. Oh, Ross Keane's there too. So there are a few props about. Um, and Tom back now as well, which is some You know, he came back into that uh, yeah. into that team at the weekend. So that'll be a big boost, I suppose, for Dan McFarlane, but also for Marty Moore. Because it makes it a lot more likely that he's going to get a break now that the mm-hmm. now that Tom's back too. Mm-hmm. Well, so, just, yeah, there will, there will be there will be I would say a fair bit of rotation. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've, they've rotated, as you say, plenty this season and kept winning. So, fingers crossed that will still be the case on uh, Monday evening. Before that, Ireland play Georgia on Sunday at 2 o'clock. 
Johnny, the, the main talking point we'll have to use from this uh, outside Eric O'Sullivan's chances to play, which we've already discussed, is uh, Stuart McCluskey. I mean, if he doesn't play, like we said last week, if he doesn't play against England, when was he going to play? Like, if he doesn't play against Georgia, it's time to just give it up. Like, what's going on? Why is he not playing anywhere? Why is he not playing for Ireland? But if he's not playing for Ireland... Why are you not playing for Ulster? You've really taken this as like a personal affront now, haven't you? Yeah, I'm very annoyed. I don't know. I haven't been this annoyed since I started thinking about why there's not even fixtures in the Pro, Pro 14. Those are the two that annoy me. Um, yeah, like personally, just because he had been out since that Toulouse game and then he came back in, was it the US? No, it was Cardiff, wasn't it? He played against? Yeah, Cardiff. I, 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 I don't see, obviously, like there's less travel between Carton House back to the provinces than normal because of COVID restrictions and we all understand that but the value of somebody that needs minutes training with Ireland when he could be playing with Ulster is a confusing one for everyone as part of the wider narrative of why McCluskey doesn't get a better run in general with Ireland. There's obviously I suppose the issue of partnerships and maybe it just wasn't particularly particularly suited you know maybe maybe Farrell doesn't think that McCluskey and Chris Farrell is a good partnership no, I personally don't think Farrell and Aki is a great partnership. I think you need Ringrose if he's fit in there. And if not Ringrose, then Henshaw if he's fit to give you a greater point of difference between your centres. But obviously to be in a squad, and I think maybe Marmion is possibly the only other one to have not seen any time at all is obviously massively frustrating for him and massively frustrating for Ulster fans who won want to wish the best for him, so want to see him get caps. But if he's not going to get caps, certainly want to see him back playing with Ulster. Mm. And judging by the quotes from Simon Easterby, I mean, like he talked about using plenty of the players who have been in the squad but haven't really got minutes. If that's not Stuart McCloskey, then, then who is it? So fingers crossed. Yeah. He, he Plus went... apparently he is going to do media this afternoon for Ireland, which is another thing that we've found out mid-record in traditional fashion. So um, <laughs> that's a good certainly looks, it certainly looks like the wait might be over. Although if they're taken from the Ulster Rugby playbook of putting players up for interview, then it means nothing. No. <laughs> not not be near the 23 <laughs> <laughs> well fingers crossed for him so that's about all we, we have time for uh, this week uh, as you can maybe hear in the background my little dog yes, he's starting to get restless that means it's time over for the podcast guys so uh, John it's been a pleasure to have you back on hope you've enjoyed yourself yes thanks Gareth I have good man we'll get you back on back on again again soon so from uh, John Dixon thank you John thank you uh, thank you Jonathan Bradley Cheers, thank you very much. And from myself, Gareth Anna, thanks for listening.